Father, we now wait in your presence for your word to come. Words from your heart to ours. Words of life. Words of fire. Written with the finger of God on the tablets of our hearts. The new commandment of Christ in you. The grace of God that is indelible against all the erasers of this world. It will hold us and kept by the power of God through faith unto this salvation ready to be revealed, just brimming over to be revealed. But Lord, may our hearts be stirred by the fires of God. And tonight, may we have a full response that pleases you and is worthy of you and glorifies you, not only this night, but affecting those around us from now on. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be covering quite a bit of scripture tonight, and you will probably not be able to turn with me by any human way, possibly, uh, to follow through, but I'll be hopefully able to write them down on this overhead, uh, some of them if you have difficulty getting the references, and you can reference them and take them later for further reading. Tonight I want to address a topic that uh, I don't think I've heard more than one message on in 25 years, 20 years, uh, maybe two messages. And I think it's the time to hear something on this in our, in our country especially. There's a tremendous amount of interest in our day on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I think that's normal because you read in one hand the Bible and in other hand the newspaper and the magazines and you see that we are... To any intelligent, honest individual that bothers to compare Scripture with current events in the last days. This world is coming to an exclamation point. And any student of Bible prophecy is, is amazed at how quickly prophecy is being fulfilled all around us. With staggering clarity and really, I would say, amazing speed. We're really astounded by that. And the eyebrows of Seems like most of the world are raised up and in a what on earth is happening kind of attitude and men's hearts seem to be failing them for fear, for looking at the things that are coming to pass on the earth. Uh, There's a great shaking going on. It's the shaking that's promised in Hebrews 12 that, uh, that our God is a consuming fire and that everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that the things that can't be shaken will remain. That's what's going on. And there's great distress of nations and, uh, and all the scriptural uh, insignias of the second coming are, are shouting at us from every side. And never has there been more threatening on every side than now, uh, all across the world. It's, it's like I heard someone say, it almost seems like it's orchestrated, all the trouble that's going on. I say, you got that right. That's right. Uh, uh, it is exactly what's happening. Jesus Christ is coming. 23 of the 27 New Testament books make that one of their themes, that Jesus Christ is coming again and soon. In the Old Testament, there were a lot of references fulfilled exactly to the first coming of the Lord Jesus. But what a lot of people don't realize that in the same sentence or paragraph that those first coming references were given, there were also 
twice as many references to his second coming where he would come and fulfill the word of God and bring to restitution all things. Now those first prophecies were fulfilled with a mathematical accuracy that is beyond the human mind to calculate. And if they were true, then how much more even is the ultimate second coming? His last words to the church were, Behold, I come quickly. In Psalm 96, verse 13, it says, He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. In the Psalms, in Psalm 97, listen to what it says Again, right in the next uh, psalm, verse 3, listen to what it says about when he comes, how he will come. Psalm 97, verse 3, a fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlightened the world. The earth saw and trembled. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of all the earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people will see his glory. Revelation says every eye will see him. Some will cry out to fall upon them to the mountains, but every eye will see him and many people will wail because of him. Others will rejoice. Perhaps no topic has generated more interest than the second coming among believers just in these last couple of days. It seems that people will flock to prophecy seminars. Our attendance is down for this seminar because it talks about the refiner's fire. If we had announced we had divulged the secrets we'd heard about the Antichrist, we probably would have had to move to another campground. You see, grape-sized goosebumps are breaking out on people. When you tell them secrets of prophecy and thrills of excitement in the ages unfolding, and the Bible is very clear that people will be interested in the second coming. But you know, one thing the Bible is also clear about, that many people are going to be interested in the second coming and aware of it, the, of the signs of the times who will not be ready Amen. when he comes. In fact, uh, I want to run some references now. So get your uh, finger nice and ready and turn to Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at a lot of references tonight because this may seem like something new you hear, some of you, but you're going to see it's consistent throughout the scriptures. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is speaking in verse 34. And he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded around, and your lights burning. That's fire. And you yourselves likened to men that wait for their Lord. When he shall return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are the servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. I'm telling you, he will gird himself and make them sit down to food, and he will come forth and serve them. Verse 45. But and if the servant say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and get drunk, and, and the Lord of that servant, he will come in a day when that servant's not looking for him at an hour when he's not aware, and he will cut him in half. And look at this. 
will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Have you ever heard a message on that? And he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For to whomever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Luke chapter 21, the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. This is the portion in Luke of the Olivet Discourse. The words of Jesus, verse 34. He says, Take Heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcome with feasting or surfeiting, wild partying, and drunkenness, and the cares of this life, so that that day comes upon you unawares. For as a snare it will come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Quoting Isaiah 24. Watch you therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. To stand before the Son of Man while all these things are coming to pass. Now that's standing before the Son of Man. In a worthy fashion, standing before Him is a pregnant expression that we're going to develop further in this next moment. I hope these words will have impact on you. The purpose of prophecy is not to increase your hat size. It is to raise your heart's temperature. That's the purpose of Bible prophecy, to get your heart ready and expectant to meet the Lord. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. He goes away on a long journey, but when he comes back, he demands an accounting of his servants. Mark chapter 13. Look at that. Mark chapter 13. Again, the words of the Lord Jesus, beginning in verse 31. Heaven and earth, Mark 13, 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray. For ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a, as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants. To every man he gave his work and commanded the watcher or the porter to watch. Watch you, therefore, for you know not when the master of the house will come at evening or midnight or in the dawn, at the cock crowing, in the at the uh, cock crowing in the morning, lest suddenly he comes and finds you. His disciples were listening. Finds you sleeping, and what I say to you, meaning his disciples there in his earshot, I say to all. He says, "Watch," and that word means an expectant looking to God in prayer, not just looking like, "Oh, is he coming?" I have people say to me when we talk about the second coming, "Well, Al, how long do you think we have?" You know what I always like to say? How long for what? How long for what? Because it usually means how long do we have to do this and that and all. How long do we have what? We have today. Today is the day of salvation and I'm to be ready. Our emphasis is not just to be on the fact of his coming, but that believers must be ready and worthy by the grace of God to stand before the Lord Jesus 
It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. As Vince sung the song, May all who come behind us find us faithful. Thanks be to God that that can be the case. One day, if the Lord tarries and you're gone and your children are opening up the trunk of things under your bed, they find well-worn New Testaments and letters to believers and they, they know my father was a man of God and I want to be with him and they find that, that incentive, like the second coming of the Lord is to us to purify themselves. Until that day, Hebrews 10.25 says, Hebrews 10.25, we are to exhort one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. We are to speak to one another and say, Jesus is coming, brother. Let's go forward together. Revelation chapter 3, uh, when he says to the church at Ephesus, the Lord Jesus is speaking, and he says in that third chapter of Revelation, verse 2, listen to what he says to them. He says, I know your works. I know your, uh, excuse me, Revelation 3, not to the church at Ephesus, but at Sardis. Verse 2, he says, be watchful. Revelation 3, 2. Be watchful and strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. And hold it fast. And repent. If, therefore, you shall not watch, I will come on you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come to you. It's consistent throughout the New Testament. Sadly, all the emphasis on the second coming, how relatively few there are that seem to be making any spiritual preparation to stand before the Son of God. We say come and we seem to think we're going to get raptured out of carpeted houses with thermostats and comforts and everything and we make no preparation to meet and stand before the Son of God. A lot of people are concerned in our day with identifying the, the, the man of sin. But God is more concerned with uh, getting rid of the sin of man. He is wanting the church to be diligent, to be ready to stand before the Lord. We ought to live our lives in the light of the judgment seat of Christ. In the light that we will all stand before God. Romans chapter 14. It's written by the Apostle Paul. And listen, he includes himself. Romans chapter 14. Listen to the words in verse 10 through 12. Romans 14. 10 through 12. He says, Why do you judge your brother? Why do you set at nothing your brother? We shall all, he includes himself, we shall all stand before the judgment seat, the judgment bema of Christ. As it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue will confess, quoting Isaiah 45. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. How many times I hear people say, uh, I've heard the question say, how many of you know the Lord Jesus? People say, I know the Lord Jesus. And they say, but I'm just not living as I should. I know I'm, I'm, I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not having quiet time. I'm not preparing my heart. But it's all forgiven and God understands, I'm telling you. And when we hear it, something inside says, that's not right. We know it's not right. There's a slackness in a response when we hear that we know the Lord, but, but, but. Well, I'm telling you, the Bible says that we will give an account to God for the things that he has said to us. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. 
says it again as well. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this comes the judgment. Future judgment. Now wake up, those of you that are sleeping. It's high time for you to rouse out of sleep. Because now (laughs) you standing before God is nearer than when you first believed. Not only for the lost. We we, we, We talk about judgment for the lost. But the saved also. A judgment seat. Those who've been washed in the blood and redeemed and saved forever secure in Christ will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We just read that, Romans 14. Let me give you some references. This is a timeless truth through the whole scripture. In Ecclesiastes, the wisest man wrote, Ecclesiastes 3.17. He says, Ecclesiastes 3.17 He says, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. Acts 10, 42. In Acts 10, 42, it says, Jesus has been ordained by God to be the judge of the living, those are those that are saved, and the dead. That's the distinction in Scripture that it makes. All judgment is committed to him, it says in John 5. In 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, we read, He will judge the living and the dead at His appearing. Matthew 16, 27. Matthew 16, 27. It says these words, The Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father and with His angels, and then shall He reward every man according to His works. Now, we can't just dismiss all these scriptures that all of humanity has a date with deity. We do. There's a judgment for the lost, and it's going to be rude. It's a judgment for sin and being lost and being unbelieving. And it's condemnation that will be received at that judgment of the lost. But there's also a judgment for saved people, not of concerning salvation, but concerning works, concerning stewardship, concerning faithfulness, concerning family evaluation, like a father gathers his children. There'll be a judgment seat uh, of works. The church, by and large, has lost consciousness of this, that we will stand before our wonderful Lord and give an account to Him of how we responded, at what depth and faithfulness we responded to His grace and love. Look at 2 Corinthians together, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to have to be hammering these scriptures out at you, but I want you to see how biblical what we're talking about here is tonight. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. Paul is speaking of his own self and his own ministry, and he says, Wherefore we labor. It means to the point of exhaustion. We labor. That whether we be present with God or absent from Him, he's talking about being on earth or being in heaven, we may be accepted or well-pleasing of Him. For we must all appear before the bema seat, is the word in the Greek, the bema, the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. What an awesome verse. That all the slander that comes against a believer 
You can roll it off and say, it doesn't worry me. It'll all be settled at the judgment seat of Christ. All the misunderstandings that you've had against you, leave it at the judgment seat. It'll all come out. And all the efforts of your heart, it'll all be about. All the trifling with God will all be exposed as well at the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear. The word appear means be displayed, be marqueed, be shown as we are. This word for judgment seat is a word for bima. It was the place at Olympic Games where those who had finished the race were rewarded. They had a crown put on their head and were considered conquerors and more than conquerors and super conquerors in the games. And Paul wanted to run with patience that race and finish the course that was for him so that he might obtain the crown. Not everyone that runs a race, he said, obtains a crown. And I'm going to tell you, not every Christian will obtain a crown. As you'll see in a moment from Scripture, a judgment of works the judgment seat of Christ. This is no new theme back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're told, if you'll turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we see there as well a warning. He says, verse 10, verse 9, We are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. He's building a kingdom. He's building his church. He's building a house of praise. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. That's the gospel. And another will come and build on it. Now, but let every man take heed how he builds upon that gospel, the one you've believed, the one by which you heard about Jesus and you were brought to salvation. You see, other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if any man at this conference or anywhere else build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, Every man's work shall be manifest. The word means exposed, revealed, laid bare. For the day, that day we've been talking about, will declare it because it shall be revealed. How? By fire. And the fire shall test every man's work, what sort it is, not size. If a man's work remains, which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, but as by fire. So what an amazing verse that a life could be spent on wood, hay, and stubble and that is afraid of the fires of God that we're talking about here this weekend and would never be exposed to the gaze of God and the fire of the Word and go through all your life and die and stand before God and your whole life work, gone. Just like that. And someone else that's labored in obscurity and not been vain and settled for the things that lure so many of us quietly, faithfully, Laboring, when they stand before God, the Lord puts that fire. He says, 
Fire doesn't hurt it. It's good. It's, it's acceptable. It's, it's not wood, hay, and stubble. It's gold. It's silver. It's precious stones. And it's already been tested by fire, so it remains. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Fire tests quality. The word for fire is puree. Before a thousand million eyes. Alone I will stand. That's scary to me. That's why Paul says in the next verse, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It's a scary thing. If you didn't know his grace, those eyes of fire that know all and can see all, I won't have my pastor with me then. I won't have my wife or my children with me then. I won't have my friends. I'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not to be punished, but to suffer the the fire of God to the works of my life to see if they are indeed of God and to what quality they are. Only His works, those beautiful works, will stand the test. Dead works, the Scriptures talk about, will burn. All that we dreamed up in our fleshy efforts and asked God to bless, it'll be gone. All the lukewarm religious activity and all the things we did with religious language to benefit ourselves, it'll all be gone. If a man's work passes and abides the fire, he shall receive a reward. The New Testament says there are five crowns. Five crowns. It implies there may be more. But there are five crowns that the New Testament clearly says will be given. Let me give them to you. Let me give them to you. I hope that you will anticipate some of these. The first crown is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Turn over a few pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's called the incorruptible crown. Incorruptible crown. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. Listen to what it says. Every man that strives for masteries is self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, meaning in this world. But we do it an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not uncertainly. I'm fighting not as one that's shadow boxing or beating the air. But I keep under, I buffet my body. As the Baptist would say, I buffet my body. uh, And bring it into subjection lest by any means, Presbyterians do it too, I buffet my body, I hit myself, I discipline myself, and bring it into subjection, meaning to the Spirit of God, lest by any means, when I've preached to others, I myself should be, what's the word? Adakamas, which means unrefined, untouched by fire, full of dross, full of rubbish, full of flesh. It's a, it's a busy religious life that's never taken that refiner's fire seriously. And there's the incorruptible crown that's promised to those who have allowed their bodies and their lives to be subjugated to the Spirit of God. Incorruptible crown. The second crown is in James chapter 1, verse 12. It's mentioned, and it's the crown of life. What a glorious crown that is. It says, Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, meaning with fire, tested, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, if you love him, you'll be keeping his commandments. And the commandments are not grievous to those who love him. To those who are hirelings, the commandment is impossible because we care for our own skin more than our Lord. 
But you see, blessed is the man that endures. It's hard. It's hard on road trips not to slink into those places when nobody sees but God. And it may be an agony until God delivers you, but endure temptation because in the day coming, you endure it and God will give you a crown of life. It'll be worth it then. A crown of life to those who are faithful when tempted. And there's also a third crown mentioned called a crown of righteousness. In 2 Timothy, it talks about this crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, I have fought a good fight, says Paul. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in that day, not to me only, but unto all of those that love his appearing. Let me tell you, the only way you'll ever love his appearing is if you're getting ready for it. The only way you'll ever love his appearing is if you love him. It's going to be awesome. I mean, nobody's going to run up to Jesus and hit him on the back with a living Bible. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be falling before him as dead men and and overwhelmed. But Paul here says there's a crown of righteousness for those who in daily life have loved him and longed for his appearing and have purified themselves, even as he is pure. There's another crown, a fourth crown, called the crown of rejoicing. Turn back to your left to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. Paul says, For what or who is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. This crown has traditionally been seen to be the soul winner's crown. The heart of those who have been soul winners, who've been fishers of men, who have been faithful in discipling others, they will receive the crown of rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. They shall come with rejoicing, the crown of rejoicing, working with other men and leading the lost to Christ. Brother, you're going to have this crown. The last crown is the crown of glory, the crown of glory. First, Peter mentions it in chapter 5 when he says... Beginning in verse 2, 1 Peter 5, verse 2, Feed the flock of God that's among you, taking the oversight thereof, not because you have to, but willingly. Not for filthy money, but of a ready mind, eager. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. For when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that never fades away. This crown is for faithful laborers and workers, ministers and pastors who have been overseeing aspects of the church and the body of Christ and who have faithfully discharged their duties before God. Like the writer of uh, Hebrews in the last chapter says, he says in uh, 1317 of Hebrews, Obey the ones that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves because they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. Do it so that they may do it with joy, not with grief. He's saying, submit and, 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 and be part of what God is saying through the leadership he has ordained because they have to give an account 
before God for how you responded to what they preached and what went on. But those who've been faithful, God will give a crown of glory. Now look at Luke 14. Is this too much scripture for you? I hope not. If it is, it's because your appetite is way too small. And a lot of guys came to me, not violating confidence, but several said to me, I'm amazed by the number of men that have no consistent time in the Word of God. It came out in our small group. Men don't have time in the Word. They don't have time every day with God alone. And so no wonder that if you have a bunch of Scripture, it's like, it's just too much to take in. Well, that's because your appetite, your tummy has shrunk. You need more on a consistent basis. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, the words of Jesus. And he says these amazing words. He says, verse 12, to those that ask him, uh, when you make a dinner or a supper, do not call your friends nor your brothers or your kinsmen or your rich neighbors, lest they also ask you back again and repay you back. When you make a feast, call the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. They cannot repay you. But look what he says. You shall be rewarded or repaid at the resurrection of the just. See, there are two resurrections very clearly set forth in Scripture. And there are actually more than that, but general resurrections. There's a resurrection of the just. And then a little over a thousand years later, there's the resurrection of the unjust. And the resurrection of the just is before the great millennium. I don't know what your theology is, but I'll tell you, that's the way I see Scripture. And I believe that's the way it's taught clearly if you take it literally. The resurrection of the just and a resurrection of the unjust. And remember when the Lord Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. That's what we're talking about here. Laying up reward at the judgment seat of Christ. So many people are living for sawdust and trinkets and that which will never stand the test of fire. Seeing then that all these things will be dissolved, what manner of men we ought to be in godliness and all holiness and righteousness of life. One day we will come before the Lord Jesus and after he has given to us these crowns, those of us who have, who have been by his grace able to receive them from his graceful hand, we will take those frisbees of crowns and sling them at his feet and fall down and give him all the praise. They'll be like those crowns, celestial frisbees. Clatter, clatter. All the frisbees in a big pile at his feet and all of heaven and earth will say, Thou art worthy alone, O Lord, because by thy grace we have come to where we are today. But look what it says in 2 John. Turn to 2 John. Oh, what a little book with a big punch. 2 John. It says in verse 8, I'm taking you to a lot of scripture because I, some of you just won't believe that we're going to cover this. I mean, you won't believe it unless you see it. It says in 2 John 8, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. It is possible to minimize the results of, an, of a faithful work and you lose a full reward. And then over in Revelation, the same theme, chapter 3, verse 11 Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia, the one that is no rebuke given to, he says to this church of brotherly love, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which you have, so that no man takes your crown. 
Colossians 2 says again, verse 8, Let no man beguile you of your reward. Don't let anybody trick you out of the reward that God has promised if you abide faithful. I'm telling you the Bible says a solemn fact. There's a difference in the world to come. Between saints, there is a difference. Do you imagine that the casual, lukewarm inquiry person will be in the same position as the faithful who have borne his cross faithfully and labored in the midst of many dangers, toils, and snares through uh, suffering and taking up their cross? In fact, the Lord Jesus even said when someone said, Grant unto us to sit on your right hand, he said, Listen, Are you able to drink from the same cup that I'm drinking from? Are you able to be baptized with the same baptism? And he means fire. The cup of suffering and the baptism of fire. They said, yep, we are. They said it so quick, yep, we are. He said, well, you will drink from the same cup and you will be baptized with the same baptism. But to sit on my right hand is not mine, it's the Father's. It's it's given It's a grace position that's given based upon faithfulness and following in who the Lord is. The faithful now will be entrusted then. And they will hear these words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, and I will give you, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. You've been faithful, and I'll give you authority over ten cities. You know, I can almost hear... I can almost hear some people saying, this is legalism. I'm up here, I can almost hear it. I'm going to tell you something, this is not legalism. This is clear scripture. This is not talking about salvation. This is talking about reward for faithfulness. I mean, I'm not talking about working for salvation. I'm talking about being faithful as a steward of what God has shown you. And some will enter heaven as if by fire, empty-handed, and there will be tears in heaven. It says that people don't like that. He will wipe them away after that judgment seat. He will wipe away all tears, but there will be tears. I think that I'll have tears, and I think you'll have tears over the things that he laid before us, and we just walked by. Possibilities with our children, possibilities with our workers, possibilities with our ministry, and God had an open door. We were too busy. We went to a conference and we yawned our way through it. And God was speaking and we just said, oh, any other day. And we weren't ready. We weren't imminent. We weren't fervent. We weren't burning. We will give an account. It's logical. And I believe the church in America especially has lost sight of this. And we have got our bathrobe on with a sign on the door and our bedroom slippers on that says, do not disturb. Don't disturb me. And the Lord, I'm thinking, is saying, let her sleep. Acts 17.31 says this. God commands all men everywhere to repent because He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man that He has ordained. God has a day that's appointed. Romans 2.16. Romans 2.16 says God will judge the secrets of man by Jesus Christ. The unseen things. Let me tell you, it's a scary thing. Just write these references down, okay? Luke 8, 17, it says that there is nothing secret that shall not be made manifest. There is neither anything hidden that shall not be known and come abroad. Every secret thing, everything will come to light. Matthew 10, verse 26. Some of you are pushing this away. I can feel you doing it. 
I can, you say, how do you know? I've done this enough to, I, I can feel when people are doing it. You don't want to hear this because you see, I'm going for the jugular. I'm going for the last straw, that little idol that's back there that you've toyed with and flirted with for years and it's made you a spiritual dwarf. And God says, I want it tonight. The fire of God is going to consume it. Matthew 10, 26, there, there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and there's nothing hid that shall not be made known. Matthew 12, 36, listen to this. Matthew 12, 36 is awesome. It is really awesome. And even as I speak this, the fires of God uh, singe my own heart and mind. Matthew 12, 36, it says, I say to you that every idle word that men will speak, they shall give an account of in the day of judgment. For by thy words you'll be justified, and by thy words you'll be condemned. We have overlooked this verse, every idle word. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, these amazing verses. He was being accused and he was being persecuted and he had opinions. But he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, I know nothing myself Yet I am not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time, the time we're talking about tonight, he's speaking of. Don't judge it until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and he will reveal, making manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have the praise of God. God will burn away the bad and he will praise those noble motives that he's birthed in us. But the rest will be gone forever, friends. All kinds of things, the Bible says, will be rewarded for. How we treat others. Hebrews 6.10, it talks about how we treat others. Listen to what it says. It's an amazing thing. Sometimes I'll write a letter to someone who's helped us in the ministry. And I'll put this at the bottom. Hebrews 6.10, it says... God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God will remember it. He promises to those who give a cup of water in the name of the Lord to a little child that they'll have a reward. And a prophet, if you minister to a prophet, you'll get a prophet's reward. He promises that he will not let any of this go by. This widow who puts in a mite, he marks it down. He has books. He has a library that makes the Library of Congress look silly. God doesn't need a library. Why do you think he has it written down? Because we're going to have a praise time. And what are the chronicles of heaven? How we respond to authority is another way we'll be rewarded. How we handle God's word, those who handle it faithfully, will be rewarded. How we suffer for Jesus' sake. He says, listen, when they persecute you falsely, rejoice. Literally, have a party. <laughs> because great is your reward in heaven. God has a reward. And, and tears now will be diamonds in that day. I wonder what it will be like for you. I wonder what it will be like. You see, not every Christian will be on shouting ground. Not every believer will be glad when the skies split. <laughs> They're going to say, oops. Oops, it's, 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 it's sooner than I thought. It says in 1 John 2, 28, Now little children abide in him, remain in Christ, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his parousia, his coming, his 
flashbulb it means, like, like a flashbulb, his, his sudden invasion of earth. Many will be ashamed in that day. Only those who abide will have confidence. But those who have abided, 1 John 4, 17, herein is our love made mature, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. As Jesus is today, Lord, I want you to make me. I want to be like you are now. I don't want to wait to be changed in all these areas to heaven. I want you to let your kingdom come on earth. Let your will be done in my heart as it is being done in heaven. And make me a reflection of your glory, an expression of your life, an extension of your presence. Never mind. A glorious explosion of your power. Glory to God. My mind's about 100 miles ahead of my mouth. <laughs> when, you, when your mouth is moving and you hear something comes out that doesn't sound like God, stop. You should stop and say, wait a minute, is this the Holy Spirit? Just stop. You see, there's a lot of people that are content to say, they lull themselves with a gospel lullaby to say, well, I'm just content to be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. I'm just content to make it to heaven. Well, at least I'm saved, even if I don't amount to much. I'm going to tell you what, I doubt an attitude like that knows the God I know. I doubt an attitude that could have that kind of lackadaisical attitude. You may know a denominational Jesus or the stained glass Jesus or the kind of effeminate picture with lace cuffs and kind of a long crooky nose in the pictures, but you don't know the King of kings and Lord of lords to whom all power is given in heaven and earth. The one who will judge you for faithfulness to what he said. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. He'll set you on fire. See that you walk circumspectly, not as a fool, it says. Redeem the time. Buy it back. Pay the price. Ransom it, it means. Ransom the time because the days are evil. Brother, let me tell you, you have to get older. I'm getting older, as Ian said, and Ian is much older than I am, but, but as you get older... I mean, why do you think he's going back to Australia? It's like uprooting himself from America. But I've watched him over the years, and I know this. He knows, I know, and any wise person that's listening to God knows our days are numbered. Our strength is ebbing, and we only have one day at a time to give to the Lord Jesus. We don't know what tomorrow may bring. And my question to you is, are you being faithful? Are you listening to what he's saying? Are, uh, what we need is to be drunk from the Holy Spirit. It's an awesome thought tonight, the future facing a fire. That's what Malachi, the theme of the conference is. The day is coming that will burn like an oven. That's what it says in, in, a, in that Malachi chapter 4. It says in verse 1, let me just read it to you because it's an awesome verse I read it and it just blows my mind. The day comes that will burn as an oven and all the proud and all that do wickedly will be stubble. And the day that comes will burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that it may leave them with neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness, that blazing one, arise with healing in his wings, his beams, and you will go forth and you'll grow up as calves in the stall. It's an amazing thing. And so the Lord wants to purge us now from the things that will embarrass us at the judgment seat of Christ. He would rather have you holy than happy. Because you see, of course Jesus wants you to be happy. He wants you blessed. 
But if you're blessed with things that dishonor him, he doesn't want you blessed for a while. He wants you miserable until you're free. You may have to grit your teeth and be miserable, and you may have to abide the fire and have it burned out of you and plowed out and drilled before he can fill you. But that's okay because, you see, you're not living for this world if you're a Christian. You're living for him. There's a chastening fire that God has. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. There's a judgment seat of Christ. God judges even in this life. To some people in 1 Corinthians 11 who were taking the Lord's Supper wrongly. They were believers. Paul said, listen, some of you haven't been taking this supper seriously. You've been just kind of eating and drinking like it's just a little religious observance. And I want to tell you that for this reason, some of you are sick. uh, Some of you are weak. Some of you are sick. And some of you are even dead. But if you judge yourself, You wouldn't have to be judged. God, if he judges you in this life, he says, is judging you so that you won't be condemned with the world. He's refining you. His fire is coming. God will never let sin go by, whether it's in a lost man or a saved man. God will send his refiner's fire. Just listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes, the very last verses of Ecclesiastes in that chapter 12. Listen to this verse, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, the end of this book and verse 14. It says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be be evil. You say, well, Al, that's talking about the lost. Well, over in Colossians, it doesn't say that. It says that God has no respect of persons when he talks about judging. It says in Colossians chapter 3, it says, it says, verse 23, Colossians 3, whatsoever you do, do it heartily to the Lord, not to men, knowing that of the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance For you serve the Lord Christ. But whoever does wrong shall receive for the wrong that he's done. And there's no respect of persons. God will require it. 1 John 5 says there is a sin unto death. Verse 16, there is a sin unto death. I believe that I could name you some names of some people that I believe were taken from this earth who were Christians who began to trifle with God and were involved in some things that they had been warned over and over again and God warned them, God chastened them and they went right on and God took them from earth. You say, how vindictive of that. No, I'll tell you this. When those people who love Jesus got to heaven, I can promise you, knowing the ways of Scripture, that they thanked God once they saw it from His perspective, once they saw what they had been rescued out of and the, and the enigma that they had placed the holiness of God in, they got before God and said, Lord, thank you for taking me out because it was time to come home. I'm sorry, Lord. And uh, they praise Him. For taking them out. I'm very sure that would be the case, at least with me. If I began to dishonor God and began to be in a foolish state, I believe God would do that. The purpose of this assurance that He is coming, this Holy One, is not to paralyze us, it's not to condemn us, it is to purify us. It's precisely what it says if you'll turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. The grace of God comes in power. You've been great listeners. Keep on. We're almost through. 1 John chapter 3, it says, Behold, 
It's an astonishing term. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the techna, the born ones, the born children of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. The world can't understand us because we have a new nature. It's his nature and it didn't know him. Beloved, verse 2, at this point right now, we are the sons of God. But it, it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. You don't realize, brother, I don't realize what we're going to be in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye when we're changed. In that day when he comes to be glorified in his saints. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. It does not yet appear. There's the now and there's the not yet. There's the now that we walk by faith and we keep his promises and we know his word is true because the not yet shouts, it's not true, it's not true. But you see, it says, but we know that when he shall appear, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. And in this verse three, and every man, there's no exception, that has this, the word is assurance in the Greek, Every man that has this assurance, if you know what I've just said is true, then you will be purifying yourself even as he, the Lord Jesus, is pure because you want to meet him without blemish or without spot and appear before him saying, Lord, you're worthy of my uttermost for you. So it's so much easier to deal with the blood now than deal with the fire then. Can I ask you something honestly now that we've gone through all those scriptures? Honestly, are there things in your life today as a Christian that you would be ashamed of if you knew that the Lord Jesus was coming tomorrow? If you were to stand before the Lord Jesus tonight or tomorrow, are there things for which you must make excuses or that you would be ashamed? Now, I'm certain that all of us could be humbled by that thought. But this is a thought that these scriptures are meant to bring before us. Well, be sensible. What if you knew that the Lord Jesus were coming next week? What would you change in your life? What would you change if you knew that suddenly the heavens would rip and Jesus was coming next week? What would you change? Oh, Al, I would change this and that and this and that. Well, you want some very good advice? Change it tonight. Because he's going to look at every day the same. And the truth is, he might come next week, but you might go there before he comes and stand before him. He may come next week, but he's not going to miss a day. The truth is, he's going to look at every day in the same light, not just the day he comes. Every single day is a gift from God, and Jesus is coming, and I may meet him before he comes. All of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Some of us in this room will stand before him this year, more than likely. Maybe this week. Maybe tonight, you never know. You never know. I talked to a man the other day that went to the funeral of a 42-year-old man that died in his sleep just like that. He just died in his sleep. I'm exhorting you tonight to walk worthy of the grace to which you've been called, in which you are kept and through which he will make you into all that his heart longs for you to be. Respond with abandonment to the word that comes next the word you hear about God's enabling power. Are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? Are they? 
Will you stand before him with joy and confidence in that day, with an uplifted face saying, I've fought the good fight, I've run the race, Lord, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, let's pray together. Father, just as Job was being watched by heaven, and he did not know it, he did not know the heavenly watchers were watching him. He did not know that a book was being written about his life, that all those of us would look at and read. His heart was opened. He didn't know that. That's what's going on in our life right now. We don't realize what's going on around us. And these things are being written in a book. And one day we'll stand before all of heaven just as Job's life is now before us. And even then his will be also. He said, I know after I'm refined I'll come forth as gold. He faced the fire. And Lord, tonight we need to face the fire and know that if we face the fire now, we won't fear the fire then. Our lives are a spectacle to men and to angels and to the world. A coliseum in which they look into us. And Lord, may they see the fires of Zion. The world is watching. Angels are watching. They see what's done behind closed doors. Out on the road on sales trips. And when no one is watching, they, they see it all. And Lord, may we see tonight that it's a serious thing. May we see what our life is saying. And may we take it seriously the privilege of allowing your fires to purify our hearts. May we face the fire tonight, willingly, sacrificially, and fully, so that we won't have to fear the fire in that day when we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.